0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
1: You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say, nothing. Because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com/slash-with-amex. Terms apply.
0: You know what gets me through the home stretch of the NBA season? A solid mystery thriller, which is why I highly recommend checking out Audible. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You'll always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. I'm currently listening to The Wager by David Grand. It's a thrilling story of shipwreck, survival, and savagery, culminating in a court-martial that reveals a shocking truth. And good news, as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. And new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500. That's audible.com slash JJ, or text JJ to 500, 500 Welcome to The Old Man in the Three with JJ Reddick and Tommy Alter, brought to you by 342 Productions. This is episode 156. Jamal Crawford, our dear friend, Jamal, joins us. I, I didn't realize this when we asked him to do this a few weeks ago, that Jamal has not been a guest on The Old Man in the Three. We've had him on The Ringer. I had him on
2: Yahoo. That's shocking. Yeah. That's actually pretty disturbing. I know. This is the OG Jamal Crawford we're talking about. Uh, Jamal, of course, has entered
0: the sports media space working for Turner. He's killing it over there. Teammate of mine for four years. All around great guy. Great stories. And we touch on both his career and the current NBA and what's going on in the playoffs. Very exciting. Tommy, I want to touch on... The Cavs-Knicks series, we are recording this on Wednesday, April 19th, and this feels like a series that potentially could go down to the wire. That could be a Game 7 series. Uh, Knicks, of course, lost on the road last night. Cavs just completely dominating that game. Big part of that, of course, was the turnovers, 32 points off turnovers for the Cavs. And 19 of those came in the second quarter when the game really broke open. Uh, Obviously, a large part of that as well was Darius Garland going for 26 in the first half. But it felt like after a very contested, uh, very tightly contested Game 1, that J.B. Bickerstaff and company made some pretty significant adjustments to their game plan
2: in uh, Game 2, and it paid off. Cavs defense has been great all season. How much of the turnover do you think was them versus the Knicks being sloppy?
0: Some of it was the Knicks being sloppy, but there definitely was a lot of talk for two days about the physicality of game one, uh, Knicks hitting first. And I felt like that got flipped in game two where Cavs felt like the more aggressive team, the more physical team. And you can look at specifically how they guarded Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson was not double teamed one time. In game one, he was double-teamed 12 times. In game two, he was blitzed in pick-and-roll nine times. Uh, and the Knicks were three for 10 from the field with two turnovers on the 12 plays that he was double-teamed. So I think getting him uncomfortable was a big part of it. And then what they did with him... Look, if you're Jalen Brunson, um, you, you're you going to carry a, a, a significant... Load and responsibility for this Knicks team. And I I really believe the Cavs are looking to wear him down, both in how they're playing him uh, when he's on the offensive end and involving him on the defensive end. Uh, They used Jalen Brunson's man 12 times for on-the-ball screens. That's the second most in any game this season. Uh, The Knicks allowed 1.78 points per direct play when Jalen Brunson was guarding the screener on a pick-and-roll. Uh, so that's sort of the game plan,
2: how they will adjust. We can discuss. This is the obvious luxury the Cavs. have, having two all-star type guards and uh, one backcourt. Um, with the, with the Cavs in particular in game two, this small ball lineup seemed to work pretty well with Karis. Do you feel like they found something there? Um, or this was just a case of Karis just playing well?
0: Well, th- I believe they did find something. And a lot of times in those pick and rolls, uh, Jalen was guarding Karras and then he's having to recover to Karras and he's playing, you know, off of uh, a pivot game or off of a closeout. And he's clearly got size on Jalen that puts the Knicks at a little bit of a disadvantage. So I, I, I like the strategy. I think it worked. Um, you know, I, I, if I'm the Knicks, I'm just switching. I'm just switching and living with the consequences of that, you know, playing in the gaps, playing health defense, you have rib, rib protection behind you with Hartenstein and with Mitchell Robinson. I, I, I think there was too many times where you're asking Jalen to hedge and then recover to a guy who can score. And, and that, to me, put the Knicks at a disadvantage. I want to talk offensively real quick because when they blitz Jalen Brunson, first of all, it takes them out of their normal rhythm. Uh, a problem with the Knicks, they don't have a lot of shooting. And there was I think, seven for 29 from three yeah. in game two. Um, so they don't have a lot of natural shooting. They were 19th overall uh, in the NBA in three-point percentage for the season. So you're taking Jalen out of his comfort zone, and on the backside, you don't have the knockdown shooters that some other teams have that have primary playmakers like Jalen Brunson. So I like the strategy from the Cavs. The guy for me that has got to play better is RJ Barrett, and RJ is not a great shooter. He's also not a great finisher. And he's when he does drive, he's going against length with Mobley and Allen at the rim. And he's not a good pull up shooter, you know. And so when he's I know early in the second half, Tibbs ran a lot of plays for him. They kept calling uh, chin away, which is uh, chin action, the old Princeton chin action into a down pick for RJ to then play side pick and roll. So when they get into those drop things like him shooting floaters and pull up twos. If I'm the Cavs, I'm like, great. That's a great possession for us. Yeah. Um. So he's a guy who I feel like has to play better for the Knicks if they want to win this series. Does it feel like another guy that that needs
2: to play a little better as quickly?
0: Yeah, for sure. And that's where I think the adjustment is. Is I don't know if it means inserting him in to the starting lineup, but he's got to play more. Yeah. And given the size of the Cleveland guards, you can afford to play him more because Quickly has had a good defensive season. He's made a huge impact. He d- it felt like for the first two games, he wasn't even really in the game. There was no rhythm. Uh, there, was no f- uh, there was no point in the game where I felt like he was featured. And so that, to me, those are the two things. Barrett's got to play better, and then they've got to figure out a way to get quickly going.
2: Um, Julius Randle. This is an all-NBA type season. You know, he hasn't been terrible, but I think that for them to win what's going to be you know possibly a seven-game series, he's going to probably have to get to that level. Is there something, you know, with these? how good these bigs are defensively, is there something that they should be looking at in Game 3 to optimize him a little bit better?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know if it's been updated uh, or if the, if the stats have changed since I had their game in March. But I know at the time, Julius had hit uh, more spot-up threes than anyone else. And to me, he's going to need a game where he hits five or six three-pointers. I don't know that challenging those two guys one-on-one or one-on-two is the answer. So to me, it's like, hey, they're going to blitz Jalen. Let's figure out a way to get a swing pass to Julius, have him knock down some threes. Um, it's interesting with this series because it still feels like this is a series that could go seven games, even though I, I really believe the Cavs figured something out with their game plan. Um, when the Before the series started, Cavs were, were favored they were minus 210 on DraftKings sportsbook, Knicks were a plus 185 after game 1. Uh for the series Knicks were favored, minus 160 plus 135 after game 2. They're both a minus now. It's a pick 'em series. Yeah. I mean th- this is literally a pick 'em series and going into game 3 this is really interesting. Cavs are the underdogs. They're a plus 2 here as the underdogs. They're 4 and 13 this season as underdogs and the Knicks are 27 and 15. As favorites, I know the Garden is going to be rocking this weekend on Friday and Sunday. Um, I'm very curious to see how the Knicks adjust
2: in Game 3. Knicks had, they had 36 rebounds. Cavs had 43. We had talked about the Knicks, especially on the offensive glass. The Cavs had to struggle with that all year, uh, defending defensive glass, rebounding. Is that Mobley, Is that just Mobley and Allen just you know, playing better? Some of it is, yeah.
0: I think it's it's a it's an adjustment, you know, especially for Mobley who hadn't played in a playoff game. Some of that is an adjustment. Um, some of it is just a mentality. Uh, that again, going back to that old adage, the hit first mentality. Um, one thing I want to add too on on Brunson that I I think the Knicks could have some success with is actually less pick and roll, and Jalen and Julius. Uh, thrived this year. A lot of their offense is built on ISOs and drives. And Jalen in particular was pr- pretty efficient as an ISO player this year. So when he's got a smaller guy on him like Garland or uh, Donovan Mitchell, I think he should just attack. Yeah. Now when he's on the wing, they're flooding. They're bringing Jared Allen over early. So that makes that a little tougher. So figuring out uh, sets where he can attack um, either off a catch or maybe Isoing them up top I think helps. I know they've had a, a success as well playing Julius and ISO up top where he can then penetrate and kick and make plays for other guys. So, to me, if the Knicks are going to win this series, I I, I really believe that they're going to have to have at least a couple games where they make 14, 15, 16 threes and, uh, and shoot them at a high percentage. The last thing I want to point on this series, uh, and then we'll get to Jamal, uh, the under, and we this I could have predicted this the under has hit in both games this series. And going into game three right now, it's at 211 or 211 and a half. Um, it feels like this will be a series where it's going to be low scoring, yeah. pace, the defenses, the physicality, uh, the adjustments to game plans. Uh, so, anyways, fascinating series. Very excited for game three on Friday. It's NBA playoffs time. This week, everyone can score a no sweat same game parlay every day during the NBA playoffs. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app using code JJ, opt in, and place a same game parlay on any NBA game. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code JJ. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelpline.com ma.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort, Kansas. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. All right, let's get to our main man, Jamal Crawford. Here we go. All right, let's welcome in Jamal Crawford, our guy. Jamal, you know, I was looking back. We've had you on one time. It was on the Mike Conley episode. It was episode 39. You're like, even without you doing a lot in the NBA, so much has happened. Um I want to ask you first, though, about your time in the media this season. I know you had dabbled a little bit. Yeah. You are officially a member of the uh, Turner
3: NBA family. How was your experience this year? It was great. I think I'm not sure I could have walked into a better place to start, to be honest with you, because it was no pressure. It was all fun. We're always just, like, clowning around. The stuff behind the scenes is even better. Like, me and Shaq had a versus Every single week, literally, we'd pick a topic, we ask people in the room what they wanted to hear, and we'd go back and forth picking songs. So, like, some of that stuff I'll never forget, but working with that crew, it definitely made it a lot smoother, for sure. What What made you finally decide to, I know it's
0: not full-time, full-time, but you're, you're a full-time guy now. You're, you're one of us. You're a media guy. What, what was the impetus for you to sort of jump into this uh, full-time?
3: And I didn't think this was the plan, Jay, to be honest with you. It was It was like when the pandemic hit, I started doing so many different, like, podcasts and jumping on. Like, man, I didn't realize I love talking the game this much. Like, it's so it's so cool that there's people out there that want to talk the game like I do. You know, we always have conversations, right, like in the locker room or whatever. But it was like, I love it. And I got bit by the bug. I started going back and like, man, this is crazy. Dude. The crazy thing is when I started going on TV, I start getting text messages like I would when I scored 20 on TV when we were playing. Like, oh, this is really cool. All right. All right. I'm I'm going this way for sure. Is it
2: is it hard to, when you're talking about guys that are your friends, you know, some some, some 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 cases you've known for a long time, but you also have to be objective. You know, you have to be critical if they do something wrong, just in terms of like mastering that when you haven't had to do that for most of your life.
3: Yeah. So now I'm like, oops, he's not coming pro am this summer. So. <laughs> 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 <No>. <laughs> It's more so, for me, I, I just try to be I try to be honest. I've always um, prided myself on being authentic, so I've always tried to be honest. I think you, there's a way you can get your point across without tearing somebody down. Like, they understand, like, you know, somebody missed a big shot, or maybe there's a different read they could have taken. Like, you can say it without the shock value of screaming it or trying to belittle somebody. I did a
0: Zoom, a PR Zoom for ESPN last week where, uh, you know, a bunch of people were... On the call, and then I had to do some DraftKings PR that day. And in one of the interviews, I was asked about uh, former players that would do well in the media space or current players, and I said Mikel and Tyrese for current players. But I actually brought up you, and one of the reasons I did is is exactly what Tommy's talking about because I feel like your agenda is just the game. Right. Like there's there's a purity to your to your love and your uh, your your soul about the game of basketball. Which is why I think you do so well. I unfortunately am on a debate show. And so <laughs> occasionally, occasionally I'm forced. Like today, I had to talk about the Knicks and Cavs. Sure. Well, it's very obvious that the Knicks game or the Cavs game plan was entirely about making J- Jalen Brunson work on both ends of the court. Right. Jalen's my guy. And like I had to back it up with some argument, back up with some stats and like. I expect him to be better in game three. It's all good. It's all love. You know what I mean? But that, I will say the more you do this, Jamal, that to me is the hardest part is like being authentic and, and being like truthful about what you actually believe without letting, um, your, your legit
3: friendships come into play. No pro-ams. I'm telling you, like I I literally, there was like two times I was like, Oh man, like I just got to call it what it is because I think at the end of the day, if they're truly, their relationship is solid and it's really there, they'll understand and respect where you're coming from. Especially like, yo, you could have did better right here. Or whatever, you know, you see, like you said with Jalen as well, you met they're going at him or whatever. But that is a slippery slope. And it's funny because my best friend said that would be the hardest challenge with me being a full-time in media. Like, yo, it's going to come a point where you're going to have to say the truth or you're going to have to kind of protect the friendship. And for me, I just... My mind says if I keep the game the main thing, then I'll always be guided in the right direction.
0: I want to add one other thing, and that's just the the comment about the the text messages after an appearance is so true. You know what I mean? It's so weird that people will text me, "Hey, great job today," and I'm like, "Great job of what? Of talking about basketball? I didn't have 25 today. Don't you? You know? I appreciate it." And then the days that you don't get a text message you're like, "Oh shit, did I really I must have tricked it I'm off." today. Bad today.
3: <laughs> I, I said some BS today or all. they to be like, "Man, you didn't say this and you know you said. It. You know you believe that." So it's, it's 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 interesting because like you said, you being on ESPN Me Over at Turner, it's so many eyes on us, right? Like watching the shows and like some of my friends will text me like, yo, that, that wasn't funny. I'm like, yo, it was supposed to be organic. It wasn't like I was trying to be a comedian with that. Like, it, it's really a message in this. So I get it, but they're always watching it. It's cool either way, for sure. Um, I know you also
0: have coached JJ, your son, in youth yeah. basketball. And I wanted to sort of ask you about your experience uh, doing that. But I, I want to start with, have you ever been thrown out of a game, a youth basketball game?
3: Uh, no, but I may have should have been thrown out before. When I look, Jay, you know, like us, and you know this, and Tommy, you know, JJ as well as anybody. We're the nicest, most professional people. When it it comes down to basketball, though, something we love and something we'll die for, we're so competitive. And I'm trying to learn how not to bring my own competitiveness as a player when I'm coaching. And so I'm trying to, like, (laughs) I'll tell you a funny story. Just the other day a kid carried. He clearly carried, right? And I'm like, you didn't see that? I told the ref, you didn't see that? He said, no, I didn't see it. Well, I said, well, I'm one of the best ball handlers ever and and, and I, I wouldn't have done that move. That's a carry. So I don't care what you, and everybody started laughing. I wasn't trying to embarrass them, but I'm like, yo, that's a carry. So I haven't been thrown out, but I've been on, I've been on the line. I've been on the edge. Have you been thrown out? Because I know you're coaching now. I just had my first ejection on Sunday. That's why you, you asked me this. <laughs> personal
4: <that's laughs> request. I
3: should have known. No one bugs. I knew where this is going. What happened? I need the whole story. What it's, happened? It, it literally is the same,
0: dude. I am. I am not out there. Like I'm competitive with my kids. You know, like I coach them. I I wouldn't say I coach them like NBA players, but I, I coach them like a high school team. They're eight nine years old. Like you know, I, I hold them accountable. I'm stern with them. I've only raised my my. I've only really yelled at them once, but I'll I'll raise my voice occasionally in a very like serious way. Hey, I need your attention. Anyways, uh tightly contested contest. And last four minutes, you can press. We were down one. There's like three minutes to go. And a kid on the other team caught the ball as they did an advanced pass against the press and he shuffled his feet and then got a running start and then dribbled. And one of my kids had just been called for a travel, which I didn't think was to travel like by the rule book. I didn't think it was a travel. And I just said to the ref, I said, are you seriously not going to call that travel? When you just called a travel one of my kids and he teed right. me up for that. That's all I said. And as I was walking away, I just gave him, you know, the, the, the you know, my like sarcastic, I'm like, are you serious? Like, are you serious? And he tossed yeah. me for that. He tossed uh, me
3: if, for that. Did the gloves come off when you got tossed? Did you really like, I'm getting my money's worth now. I'm about to tear him up or you just quietly walked out. Which one was it? Cause I think it was the first one. <laughs> Go ahead. Go for it.
0: I am amazed at my self restraint. On this particular day, I, there was a part of me, don't get me wrong. I was like, I, you know, when you used to get, well, you never got really tossed, but when I would get tossed in the NBA, I'd be like, all right, now I got to get my money's worth. Yeah, for sure. I, I walked away. I just, you know, I walked away. I walked to the corner, watched the rest it, of the game quietly.
2: I was going to say, isn't that because you had to sit in the corner the whole time and you didn't actually get to leave because you were the ride?
0: Yeah, I had to drive my kid. It was in New Jersey. It was like an hour
2: and a half away. So, so it would there. be awkward if you threw a fit and then I had to go in the corner.
0: I will Whoa. say this. I will say this, Jamal. This is the, this is the bullshit. I, I This is the bullshit. So I go over to the ref. So long story short, Knox, they get four free throws. They go up three. Knox hits a three with 17 seconds to go to tie the game. Our, our coach, Gio Drew up this beautiful play inbounds play to get him an open three knocks it down. Right. We get a turnover geo calls timeout. Cause they're trapping one of our guards. Oh. We didn't have any timeouts left technical yeah. foul. We lose on it and they shoot two free throws. A kid makes a second one. We lose on a technical free throw. So I go shake the kid's hands, shake the coach's hands. And I go over to the referee. I'm like, why'd you throw me out? I didn't say, you know, I didn't raise my voice to you. I didn't step to you. And he, you know, he said what he had to say, which I respect, whatever. It's all good. And then, the other team comes over and starts taking pictures with me. So he realizes, oh, who shit. I am at this You're point, right, right? Yes. And then, and then he sees my coach uh, later that later that day because my our, our GO was coaching one of the older teams, and he says, uh, "Hey, will you tell JJ? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Why'd you throw out? A, why'd you throw out a nobody? I'm just a dad." I'm Man, not JJ Redick when I'm doing that. I'm just a dad
3: coaching some eight and nine year olds. I think let, it's fucked up. <laughs> let, let me ask you this: because I can show you stuff right now to blow your mind. But do you put in plays? Like, do you have them running like real sets? What does practice look like for you guys? Tell me about this, please.
0: I we have plays. Oh, for sure, we have plays. We have four plays. Mm-hmm. I that we have had for two months. Okay. I put it. I put in two plays recently, and then what I'm trying to get them to understand now, like my goal is, in four years, I don't have to call plays. Everything is just continuous. So we play five out. We play five out. I want all my all my players to have guard skills and perimeter skills. We play five out. We basically run sets out of delay action, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what I'm trying to get them to do now is, I this week I've been working them is a play to a play. Just so they can start understanding the concept. Like, if I don't have something on dribble two and I swing it, we can go into parking lot. If I don't have something on parking lot and I swing it, we can go into dribble two. You know what I mean? So that's where I'm at. How old is is JJ's team? How old are these kids now? They're 13. Okay, so yeah. So it's easier, I would assume, at that age. what What are you drawing up?
3: What are you drawing up? JJ, I don't know if you can see this. (laughs) <laughs> Literally have plays for every single situation. Down three, need to go full court. Down one, we're running like stack hammer plays as Spurs used to run. Like we run, we have 13 different defenses that they know on command. We can call it and they can switch up to one, three, one, to 22 half court, to full court. So it's amazing that they can grasp this. And, and it's like you said, I always tell them, I tell the parents, if you guys can grasp the continuation of the ball just flowing and everything flowing long after you play for me, you're going to know how to play basketball. So when you yes. get to other coaches in high school, they're gonna be like, oh, this kid's been coached. Like, he knows what he's doing. I don't I don't have to waste my time doing that. We can advance to this. And and we watch film. Uh, we just watched film the other day. So it's just completely like we may not see all the benefits of it right now, but for them later on, if they know how to play, they'll play longer. You know what I mean? And so we're trying to teach them the right way to do things.
0: I told them – I told my kids this a couple weeks into it. Uh, at At a practice, and I said, because uh, they they do all the skill development stuff a few times a week, and then you know we do uh, the teamwork stuff on on top of that. And Geo and Kyle are are fantastic with all the development stuff, and they know the game. So if I'm not there, they can teach the basketball stuff. But I said to them, we're going to teach you how to play. Yes, we're not going to just teach you how to dribble and shoot and combo dribble. Like we're going to teach you let's how to, play basketball. We're gonna know how to and, play basketball. And, and and when you're twelve you're going to be so much further along than any other 12-year-old. And when you're 16, you're going to be so much further along than any high school player. Yes. When are, you, when are you going to coach in the NBA, though?
3: When are you going to coach in the NBA, Jamal? <laughs> never. Never worry, never hate. I will never be a coach in the NBA. That's one thing I can say i never do. If I'm going to travel that much, throw me a uniform and have, sit me on the bench. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to travel like that and not playing in the actual game. I JJ, I hate planes. You know that. When we had the turbulence, I was underneath the seat while you guys were having your fun up there. But no, I I will coach these kids, and then my daughter's going to play, and then I'll coach her. And I I could do high school. High school and TV for me is like the perfect balance.
0: It's NBA playoffs time. That means big hoops action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Get in on the excitement of every game with the touch of a button. New customers can make a $5 pregame Moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins.
2: Plus, everyone can score no sweat, same-game parlay every day during the NBA playoffs. Open the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in, and place the same-game parlay on any NBA game. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10.
0: So far, we've been treated to two amazing games in the Clippers-Suns series. I know I'll have my eyes on Game 3 and can't wait to build a same-game parlay for that one. Download the app now and sign up with code JJ. New customers can make a $5 pregame Moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code JJ. I think every time that I try to buy tickets here in the New York metropolitan area, it's always a very stressful thing. Everything in New York is a little more expensive, if you know what I mean. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. With both the Nets and Knicks series coming to New York, I'm keeping an eye on those tickets. They've got flash deals and last-minute tickets, and my favorite part is the images of the seat views, so you can know exactly what you're getting.
2: Buying tickets is the best because you also get the Game Time Guarantee, which means you always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference.
0: Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code OLDMAN for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code OLDMAN for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guarantee.
2: Well, with, with, with your JJ, I think anyone listening to or watching to this who has not seen clips of him should Google him right now. It's pretty unbelievable the skill level he has at his age. When you're when you're coaching him, when you're coaching the other kids, how do you coach like fearlessness? How do you coach like the thing that you had, which was not just the skill set, but just your ability to just shake everything off? And I mean, it was a, you're a one of one talent in that way. So I, I know it's hard to sort of translate, but like, how do you get that message across to them?
3: I always say, and I heard Kobe say, and I know JJ lived by this, like work ethic eliminates fear. So if you're putting in the work and you have a coach that believes in you it, and is giving you freedom, like the sky's the limit. So I I, I try to empower all of them. Uh, obviously, we play up a lot. So for us, we're younger, we're always playing up, and they get intimidated when they first see something I'm like, no, no, don't worry about that. We'll out scheme them. We'll out-basketball them. Let's just be confident, be free, and lean on each other. No one person is going to beat that older team. But if we do it collectively – we can do it. And once we have some really big wins like that, they start, you know, getting that confidence. Because really at this age, it's the physicality. You see holdbacks. You see, like, oh, yeah, seventh grade. I'm like, seventh grade at 15. Like, you not seventh grade, but we're playing, <laughs> we're playing the long game. You know what I mean? And like JJ said, we're playing the long game. before that, in the end, you'll be so much further ahead than all the guys that are holding back and doing that stuff. So for us, we just try to empower. Uh, I promise the parents they'll get better. Uh, they'll be good young men off the court. And we'll have fun and and they'll learn how to play basketball. So I stick true to those four things and, and just give them all the confidence in the world.
0: Yeah, I think that the whole the whole point of coaching is to empower. Yeah. Right. And I, I look at it even with Kyle and with Gio, like I'm hoping they're learning something from me. I'm learning stuff, coaching these kids about how to coach, believe it or not. Um, but I, but the mark of a, a a good coach to me is that you put your players in a position to succeed. And that's where the challenge is for me. Look, the, these kids are eight, and nine years old. Like, how do you put eight, and nine-year-olds in a position to succeed? Uh, p- playing, you know, AAU tournaments, playing city league games, uh, practices, whatever. I, I, it's funny because I do run our practices like I would run an NBA practice. That's what's crazy. <laughs> I have an agenda every day.
3: Like, there's there's nothing I do at practice that is random. It is it is it is, it is the best. Everything's scheduled. I'm playing music and our like our offensive section, we're getting shots up. I, I got that from the Seahawks. The music, the kids are having fun, they're into it. So the environment's created that they're they're enjoying themselves. And we go to defense, it gets more serious. So I turn it off. Then we go back to, you know, shots or whatever. I turn it back on low, low level, and they just enjoy being in practice. We got practice today. And and to be honest with you, you said you learned coaching them. Coaching these kids saved me because I still wanted to play for the longest. Like JJ, you guys have one of the best pods in the world. Like literally. And I remember a conversation we had, you know, a couple years back when you're kind of going through a transition. I won't get too much in detail about it. But I wasn't ready to like mentally let go of the game and get into this space. So coaching them, I was like, yo, I'm done with that. And then that's when I really was like, I cannot be in competitive mode. I can let the game go after all these years and find another way to help push another generation and like help teach kids. And that was like the coolest, purest thing ever. And I needed it. It probably saved me. <laughs> That's really interesting, and I actually was going to ask you a follow up question to that
0: before we get into your career and some stuff about this year's playoffs. And that's just because I know you still play, I know you still hoop, and I know you're still in the gym, and I you probably still you don't you've never done dribbling drills, but you probably imagine yourself playing one on one against an NBA player. I with five seconds to go on the shot clock because I know you're a real sicko. But
3: okay. <laughs> oh, I'm so sick. I played against two bigs when I won full court yesterday. And I was working on my post moves when I got to them. I started doing hook shots. I put on my story and just – I was doing hook shots just against them because they were bigger to not make it unfair. Sorry, go ahead. What do you miss the most about your NBA career? For me personally, to be honest with you, is – and you know, both you guys know, I took some of the craziest fucking shots that have ever been known to man. But the rush of just not knowing what I was going to do next, like in front of the world. Like I didn't know what the – like. I did know what I was going to do. And it was so fun because the fans were seeing it for the first time. I had never practiced it, so I was kind of seeing it for the first time. That's what I miss most. It's like playing against the top players in the world. And in my mind, I can sometimes kind of dream up anything and go do it on the spot. That's like the thing I miss most that the world can see. it. I'm doing it now, but nobody's watching. I'm taking it for myself to watch, right? But that's like the thing I miss most to play against the top-level competition, the best players in the world, have those highs and lows, and have a moment where you don't know what the hell you're going to do.
2: Yeah, you're, remember,
0: ma- you're a master at improv. That's what he is, Tommy. He's a master yeah. at improv.
2: I remember, I remember D. Wade was one of our first guests, and he said the thing when J.J. asked him this, he said the thing he missed the most was the performance. And you, you're that's you. It's like a showman. It could be any kind of it could be any kind of show, but it's like you know people are going to get their money's worth, and it's it's hard to like recreate that doing anything else.
3: And, and that's what I always look at. Like I wasn't, I don't know where I am. Like, people say best six man. Sometimes, sometimes they don't. I don't know. I don't know if I was top. Fifteen hundred player ever play, but I know if you go back and think about it, you had a memory of me or a cool feeling like I remember when he did that. Like to me, that's it's about memories and moments, and and I miss that part of it. Like that part is so cool to be able to give some of those moments, some of the coolness, and some of the like, like I remember JJ hitting so many fucking threes in a row, and I, I was just like, go to him. You remember the time like uh, Chris was out for a while and the offense ran through Blake and me and you were a big part of like making sure it, it ran smoothly and you would never think two like shoot first guys would have it so dialed in when we were playing so good together. It was like beautiful basketball. And it was just like those moments. And you know, we were in Sacramento, we had a huge win. I'll never forget that, but it was like, just, it was so fun. Like those moments is what I miss most for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You were, you were always a bit of a showman. You were always a bit of a showman and now you get to do that on television Um, Jamal, 20 years in the NBA, I was doing some stuff on basketball reference today, uh, drafted by the bulls, four seasons with the bulls, four full seasons with the Knicks, then 11 games, 54 games in golden state, two seasons in Atlanta. We beat you in the playoffs. One year you beat us in the playoffs the next year. Uh, one, one season in Portland, five seasons with the Clippers, four of those with me, one season in Minnesota, one season in Phoenix, and then a game with Brooklyn. Do you have a favorite year, a favorite team, a favorite locker room? Like, when you look back at those 20 years, is there a period of time that is that really stands out in terms of the joy and purity that you love so much?
3: Yes. The Which year was your year when we went to the, we thought we were going to the Western Finals? What year was this, 15?
0: 15. The Rockets, when we lost, lost the
3: Rockets? Yeah. 15 was... My favorite year in L.A. because we truly in our heart of hearts believe. I'm not going to say we were going to win it, but we believe we were going to. I the, don't care what anybody says. We believe we were going to the finals. Now, I think that was my best chance personally to ever go to the finals. And then I think a year in New York. So one and one were probably my two favorite years of ever playing basketball. Like
0: um, I want to get interesting you bring up the New York thing. And I want to get to that first, because I do want to talk about the Clippers. Uh, I know we've touched on it before, both on this podcast and on previous podcasts, um, uh, uh, Ringer and uh, on Yahoo. But your time in New York, uh, first year you played 39 games for Lenny Wilkins and then finished the season with Herb Williams, 42 games with him. Then you had one season with Larry Brown, two seasons with Isaiah Thomas, and then 11 games with Mike D'Antoni. So, which of those seasons? What's your favorite? That's an incredible run of coach. I mean, I love. I, I'm glad the Knicks have normalized a little bit, but that is just as 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 good of a stretch for the Knicks as you can get.
3: Oh my gosh, uh, I would say the first year with Lenny, because people don't know this, but Stefan Marbury and myself at that time were the second leading backcourt scoring wise in, in the in the lead behind only Gilbert and Larry Hughes. And at that time, I hurt my toe in January. And up until January, we were number one in division, which means we were going to go to the playoffs. Like, I think the winner at that time got like an automatic bid. And so that first year uh, in New York, it was like my introduction to the city. JJ, I was playing matinee games in the Garden at 12 p.m. The games over at 3. I would go play outside on the court in a local playground, West 57th Street, whatever it was, and go ask those guys, what moves you want me to do in the game? Then I go back the next game and do them in the garden. So I was like, I was so entrenched in New York. It was like, they thought I was from there. Like they absolutely took to me. I took to them. And, and now that I'm going back and forth, they're working some, like it's, I miss it at times. So those two places for sure.
2: Can you tell the, the Jay-Z Rucker Park story?
3: <laughs> so it kind of goes back a little bit, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to make it quick. I, as, I got so tight with Michael Jordan that I asked him to introduce me to Jay-Z, right? He's like, you want me to Jay-Z? I'm like, yeah. He makes a connection worldwide west, who's now with the Knicks, introduced me to Jay-Z. We get tight. Jay-Z starts coming to watch when we're playing together, et cetera, et cetera. Fast forward, we stay in contact. Uh, I'm actually in studio with Jay-Z for his portion of the best of both worlds in Chicago. So we're like, we're getting tight. He calls me after... My third year in Chicago, and he's like, or during the third, he's like, this summer I need you to come to record. I'm like, all right. He's like, I need you to come play. I said, cool, I'll be there. He said, but we cannot lose. I said, all right, cool. Can I bring Eddie Curry? He said, yeah, bring him. So I'll never forget. We get on the, we go meet him at 40-40. We get on the bus. It, this was like S Doc Carter Shoe was kicking off. So we had like this big tour bus. It was all laid out. And my first game at Rucker, I was kind of nervous, but I settled in. I threw it off the backboard and dunked. The crowd was crazy. And I was like, they don't give me a nickname yet? I mean, in the second game, it was True Essence. They finally gave me a nickname. <laughs> but Jay-Z, uh, our relationship took off. And when he got S. Doc Carter the basketball shoe, he called him like, yo, I want you to wear it. I'm like, done. And Reebok's like, no, no, no try it out. I'm like, well, I'm wearing this shoe. I don't care what you guys say. It's Jay-Z. And, and then we just you know, took off from there and known him ever since. Really cool for
0: what's the origin or the the backstory behind the, the off the backboard pass that you did while in a Nick uniform? Was that improv? Did you have it in your mind? I got After the Rucker thing, were you like, I got to figure out a way to do this in an NBA game?
3: Yes. So JJ, you know, I, I improv, but there's certain things like the, for example, the pass to Blake that, that lobbed myself. I had that in my head since I was eight years old. I'm like, I'm going <laughs> in high school. It never happened. Okay, I'm going to do it at Michigan for sure. We play Duke. I'm going to do it. Everybody's watching. Never happened. I'm going to do it with Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry. Me and Blake talked about that play one time in September when we got together. I said, fast forward to March. We never practice it. It happens. So that play with off the backboard. I was always like, okay, I'm doing this in the NBA game. I did the Rucker. I have to do it in the garden. And I did in the garden. If you watch Stefan Marbury, he was a superstar at this time, jumping up and down like a kid. Like, I don't believe you just did this in the garden. And people lost it yeah, that was like that was one of those plays for sure. That's like a, a magical play for me personally.
2: If, if you, you you can't rank yourself, Jamal. If you were to rank the five most creative players you've either played with or played against, who, where would you where would you start?
3: Creative, just like I think White Chocolate, I think Kyrie, I think Steph. I mean, Kobe shoe left hand fadeaways. It has to be there, right? Like he's Mark Cuban still and clap rims. That's four. Who am I missing? JJ, help me out. I'm thinking like Nash. I'm thinking Iverson. I'm thinking.
0: Yeah. Thinking of people that like legitimately did things first that, that, that yeah. changed, that changed the game. Michael Jordan. How can I miss him? We, we have meaning collectively us, the players on the Clippers have talked about some of the failings of that team. Yeah. Um, whether it's been Matt or CP or Blake, me and you, say. whatever.
3: Yeah.
0: Do you know where this is going? Um some people dream. Yeah, go ahead. Were you were you surprised at all by Doc's comments? Um, saying that we were we that team would never
3: have won. Yes. Yes, I was surprised. From the standpoint like, Doc, you're the coach. Like, what do you mean we never won? We were supposed to believe, and you're supposed to have us believe we're gonna win, right? Like, I, I didn't know how to respond. I was gonna respond. This is the first time I'm actually talking about it, but I was like, I was gonna say, Well, damn. I <laughs> like what, what can we say that if our coach believes we're never going to win like that was kind of and maybe he'll get more into it how would you take it because I was kind of like uh,
0: yeah well uh, it's funny because I, I saw Doc a few days later because yeah, um, I, I called the game and had the pregame it was the first thing he brought up I'm surprised you know I'm surprised you had a, an issue with my comments And and look the reality is here's what's interesting to me about those comments the reality is the two years that we had issues in the locker room uh were 16 and 17. Yes. We weren't gonna win those years anyways. Uh 14 and 15 were the two years that I look back on as and I and I missed a ton of 14 because of my back injury and breaking my wrist. Still one of the most enjoyable seasons of my career. I thought those teams that was just, those were special groups, special locker rooms, special groups. Um so that's that, what that was. Was it? and then this and then of course in sixteen and seventeen too. In sixteen, uh, Chris and Blake both got hurt within ten minutes of each other in the first round. While we're up in a series, and then in game uh, three in seventeen, Blake gets hurt for the rest of the series, the rest of the season against Utah in the first round. So like, are those that's not even though there were issues in the lock, that's not the reason we didn't advance in the playoffs.
3: I, I I thought it was weird. I thought it was weird. I'll I'll just say that. I, I thought um, it was weird, not to cut. I thought it was weird, but to me, the first thing that came to my mind was the one word it was accountability. Like it, it made it seem like we're over here, and there are he was over here. Like yo, I thought this was all together. So accountability was like yo, we weren't. That's it. Like we're yeah. That's the part that messed me up.
0: Yeah, that that kind of messed me up too. Because I feel like I know I have, uh, and and when we have talked about this uh publicly whether it's been on a podcast or whatever um everybody i've talked to about it has kind of owned their own mistakes yes. if, that, if that makes sense yes. yeah. and realizes especially later on like that we we still could have had something special um and then to not get any of that like accountability from him yeah i was blown. Away. and the interesting part too is he's talking about players getting along and like he was brought in i thought at least after after um after Vinny left, like Doc's reputation, right, was like as a personality manager, you know, a person Ubuntu, yeah, all that stuff, personality manager. And he was the GM. So like if, if people were getting along, like it's I don't know, it's kind of on
3: you. Let's 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 take it to the simplest form, right? Let's yeah, take it to the very simplest form, the, the pure essence of it. How's the team you coach right now? Eight, nine years old. If they're not getting along, whose fault is it? Who's whose job is it to get everybody on the same page?
0: Oh, I had to stop him in practice two days ago because uh, after a drill, somebody told a, uh, something that I didn't think was particularly nice to another kid. So I stopped the drill. I lined them all up. We're not going to speak to each other that way. That doesn't happen. I pointed out to one, another kid, Hey, the other day in warmups, you know, Manoa was trying to shoot threes. You told him he can't shoot threes. Right? I was like, why, why are you doing that? that? That's not being a good teammate. Right. It's on the coach.
3: A hundred percent. I'm just saying, and I, and that we would have never, if we're being honest and real talk, we would have never came out and said it was Doc's fault we lost her. So we're not saying that, but we at least oh. all together as far as why we lost. And it, like you said, everybody kind of owned their shit of why we lost.
0: I, I just, the, the, I guess, the part that bothers me is like in 14 and 15, we all believed we could win. Yes. Do, Doc the or did Doc the orator clearly believe? Doc the orator and me, motivator, clearly believe we could win. Why, Why? like, at randomly eight years later, are you, like, changing the narrative on that, changing the script on that?
3: JJ, we put out the team that just won the championship in the first round. So why would we not believe we can win? The year before that, we put out the team that basically went on a run for a Dynasty. Like, why would we not believe we could win? I can tell you this. Our Game 5 loss in
0: Oklahoma City when we were up 11 with four minutes to go, that yeah. had nothing to do with cooperation. Uh, our our 3-1 meltdown against Houston, that had
3: nothing to do with cooperation. Those weren't the reasons we lost. And, and, and for some reason, it's coming to me right now, David West, when they won the championship, I believe, in Golden State, he was like, man, we just went through so much shit. It'll come out later. But teams go through stuff. Like, I don't think there was a perfect team. Yeah, you want everybody on the same page. You want everybody pulling the same direction. But even those teams go through some stuff. And they still find a way. They're not going to say, oh. And they was never going to win because they had this, this, and third one. So it, it kind of it threw Not me for sure. For sure. Um,
0: on the Clippers' note, one of the most fascinating series to me in the first round is the Clippers-Sun series. We're recording this the day after Game Two. Phoenix comes back led by Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. What are some of your and, and Kawhi has been brilliant through two games. What are your a uh, couple of your takeaways
3: so far from this series? I think on the Clippers' side, they're playing great. They're playing loose. They're playing free. And people talk about Kawhi. I'm not sure he's a top five player because he may not play enough to be considered one, but I know he's one of the top five guys in the playoffs. He can dominate a game. He can control the game. He can guard. He can, he can do everything you want. And he gives your team confidence because he has such a coolness and such an unflappableness about him that it's like, you know what, give it to this dude and we're going to be okay. And I think for, on that side, they're playing great. If PG was playing, it really would be interesting. Like really interesting, especially with him saying, you know what, that's the guy now I'm second fiddle. So it would be really interesting. On the Phoenix side, they're going to have to use their bench more. Like, they they got to get more bench production because the Clippers' depth is their strength, right? Uh, I I think you have to double Kawhi more. And if I was Kevin Durant, there's times I would guard Kawhi, but I would kind of stay away from him as much as possible, only because you're using so much energy trying to contain him, and then you're expected to be the number one guy, especially in the big moments uh, as well. That's a lot of energy. So I I would kind of – not shy away, but I would stay away from him until it's time to pick my spots when I'm going to guard. But I still think- and
0: Yeah, and you still think Phoenix is going to win? I think Phoenix. i I agree with that. So last night in particular, they didn't really double Kawhi in the first game. Uh, I, I went and looked all the shots. I didn't find any double teams. They doubled him seven times last night. The Clippers were one for seven when they doubled him. Um, I would double him more. Yeah, we played. We played them... It wasn't so much in 15 when he was with the Spurs cuz that's not really how they played and he wasn't quite the Kawhi he is now but we played him 19 against the Raptors, I played him 21 against you know with the Mavs and uh you you, you at some point in a series have to double team him cuz he's that fucking good. Um, and and so I don't know if you end up just doubling off of Russ's man if he's in and and just kind of say all right Russ we're going to live with you shooting jump shots uh, I don't know if you go full rotation with the closest guy. I think Monty Williams has some options in that regard. And on the other side, they actually doubled Kevin some last night Yeah, and there were three straight possessions in the second half where they doubled Kevin. The first one, he swung directly to Booker who drove and hit a pull up. The next one, he swung that guy swung to Booker, drove and hit a pull up. And then the third one, they swung it and Chris Paul drove and missed a middie. But I'm like, Phoenix is getting legitimately the shots that their best players feel comfortable with when you double Kevin Durant.
3: So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. What what happens the rest of the series with you doubling him. If you're on the Phoenix side, would you double him early or would you double him late? Or would you sprinkle him in throughout the game? How would you do it? Double Kevin or double Kawhi? Why? I'm sorry. If you're on the Phoenix side, you had to double Kawhi. Would you do it early, later, sprinkle him in and keep him on? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Uh I think you
0: I think with any great player, and I that's why I like what Jock Vaughn did in the game two of the Brooklyn Phillies series. Game one, which is the game I called, balls in the air, they're going to double. Right. A couple times they're late, they're doubling on the catch. You have to keep great players guessing. If you give great players the same look every time, it's why it drives me crazy when like a guy has 40 points and you're playing drop coverage against him all game and he's got 40 and then with two minutes to go on the fourth you're like we're gonna blitz him." and you're like well the reason you're fucking down in the game the reason you can't do it i don't even care if it's a regular season game playoff game it doesn't matter, doesn't matter. you have to mix it up you have to mix it up so i would mix it up um again i think any time with the double team a lot of it to me, if you have a smart team and you can scout and you know kind of where he's going to ISO at, you can kind of dictate, all right, against this matchup, right? Let's say it's CP on Kawhi on the right wing. All right, we're going. Let's say it's Book and Russ's guy is over the top. All right, as he gets deeper, we're setting in the guy, right? You can You can kind of dictate when and where you do the double teams from uh, based on the matchup and based on who you're doubling off of, or sometimes maybe if you're going with the next guy, like you just go. Uh, but yeah, I think it makes up. Well, I, I'm curious about, because th- this has been a point of conversation we've had a ton, Tommy and I have, and I know it's been a, a topic a bunch. You know, game six and game seven last year in the Dallas series, they blitz book every time he gets the ball against the DHO or pick and roll. You can't do that now. The other no. night, they're, they're blitzing Kevin Durant, obviously booked with scoring in other ways too. What's your feeling on this with, with Phoenix? Can you double them? Should you double them? Should you just make Tory Craig beat you? Like, I, I'm very curious. The deeper this series goes, if Phoenix advances, the deeper they go in the playoffs, how teams sort of look at doubling, especially with Book and Katie on the floor at the same
3: time? I don't think you just flat out double them. Because the thing that is underrated about Kevin, like, we all talk about it, we rave it at his scoring but he's such a high IQ guy as well. And he, he's a willing passer. Like he can, he's not just a willing passer. He can put the pass on time on target, like a a small guard would. Right. And so I wouldn't just all out double him. You have to make those guys play in a crowd, right? You have to make them play in thought because when they're just free flowing, you're giving them the answer. Oh, you double. Okay. You pass the book. He closes out. One, two drill, pull up. Same thing with CP and Kevin can flow. Anyway, you have to make them play in a crowd. But I think some of it depends on how CP is shooting as well. Because CP is such a point guard. He'll get locked in that mode where he forgets he's, he's such a great scorer as well. right? So if he's in point guard mode, and maybe I'll go double late off of him if he doesn't have a rhythm, if he hasn't been taking shots throughout the game. But if he's going, I wouldn't double them, unless it's a guy like Torrey Craig. You saying, you know what, as long as these guys don't shoot it, you're shooting it. And you can shoot it, and you're shooting it well right now. I can live with that because you can't take away everything, especially against that.
1: Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage, followed by a long mud bath, then a two hour nap because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Whether it's routine maintenance, an emergency repair, or a dream project, Angie lets you browse homeowner reviews, compare quotes from multiple local pros, and even book a service instantly. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot I, f- I feel like
2: one of the questions J.J. and I talked about a bunch leading into the playoffs was the fifth guy for Phoenix, and Torrey's obviously been great so far. I think he's shooting 58% from three. Uh, is this something when if, if Torrey shoots like this, is this a team that's just gonna be really tough to stop? I mean, like I I sort of don't know what you do at a certain point if he's gonna if he's gonna be on a run like this.
3: Yeah, if he's if he continues to make that those shots, they're gonna be tough to stop. And if Aiden continues to make his mid-range, because there was a stretch in the first to first to second quarter where they were struggling scoring. And they his His points at that time were worth more because they had to get a bucket. You know, they were getting getting separation. The Clippers were getting separation against them. They had to get a bucket, and he hit two, three minutes in a row, and it allowed them to set their defense a little bit better. So I think Torrey Craig is, but if Aiden stays where he's making that shot, because it's going to be there, right? And if he keeps shooting with confidence and makes that shot, they'll be really tough to deal with.
0: The last point I want to make on this series, and I brought this up on first take, but I think it's worth repeating on the podcast because it's uh, a pretty uh, amazing number. Uh, Clippers in drop coverage last night against pick and roll by the Phoenix Suns, 24 possessions. They gave up 1.77 points per possession, which is bad. Uh, great for the Suns, but bad for the Clippers. Zubach, Zubach Zubac gave up 1.85 when he was in drop. Um, that, to me, and I, and I saw it when I played, uh, when I was on Dallas' the team. Obviously, I was not playing the place, but when I was on Dallas' team, I saw as that series went on, Luca was just too good. And you couldn't really play Zubak and Luka on the court at the same time. So to me, I I, I expect there to be more Plumley. I don't know if Plumley ends up starting. I think, and Tilu has said this to me when I call one of their games, that's sort of the advantage of bringing him in, is that he's able to be higher up in coverage and recover. And I don't necessarily think you want him switching on Kevin and Devin, but in a pinch, probably a better switch option than, than Zubak. So that's, that's another interesting one. Um, Jamal, one non-playoff question I had for you going back to your 20 years, because I don't know, I don't know where you're at right now in your relationship with analytics, but the period of time early in your career 2000 to 2008, there was nothing. There no, was nothing. There wasn't nothing. you were you weren't an efficient scorer or a non-efficient
3: score. You're just a score. You know no, what I mean? And then I'm a memory score. You're gonna remember this shit. Watch this shot. You going to remember. I'm gonna kick it off the backboard, backwards. You gonna remember this. You remember you had everything. I'm a memory score.
0: And then and then as your career went on, obviously it became uh much uh much more um a part of the conversation about players, about teams. And look, I I I think it tells a part of the story. I think they're important. Um, a lot of times they match up with what I what I see. Sometimes they don't, and and that's fine. Um, I don't like the catch-all stats, you know, and, and we can now look back at certain players from different eras and be like, oh, this this guy wasn't as good as we thought he was, you know, because of whatever you know, singular stat we have for players. Was there a player in that era that maybe wasn't in their prime post 2008, let's say that you think would destroy in 2023 in the NBA?
3: I think Mahmoud Abdul-Rahouf, is that too far? No. I think the way the game is played and now think about it. If you can shoot JJ, when I came in, cause I was a little bit before you, if you shot a three-pointer off the dribble, it was considered the worst shot in basketball. Now it's the biggest weapon. So, like, a guy like him, I think a guy like Nick Van Axel, a guy who's creative like that, guys that can shoot it. Jason Williams, I think, would be terrific. Guys that get up and down the court and they can shoot it and play with that kind of pace and space. Um, those three really jump out at me. Mahmoud, I think he would, he would do, like, major, major numbers because he was such a perfectionist. Like, we have great shooters and, and like, unbelievable – he was, like, a perfection shooter. You know what I mean? Like, he's – 10 in a row is not enough. I need 10 in roll on net. If they don't go 10 in a row on net, I have to do it again. Like, he was, like, a perfection shooter. So, I think he'd do really well. Gilbert Arenas, I think, would do well because he was kind of ahead of his time as well.
0: Um, yeah, pre-injury, pre-injury uh, go. I, I like that. Yeah, I like that. I, it's interesting you bring uh, Mahmoud up because I, I – there's a bunch of guys, and Van Exel is another one, who – never got to be high volume, three point shooters. You know what I mean? Like even Larry, I I know mad dog and I got into it uh, about Larry, but like truthfully, if Larry had played in an era where he could have been, uh, it it would have prolonged his career. That's the other crazy part. It would have prolonged his career. He would have had, he would have had like five or six years at like Danilo Gallinari's peak. Just be just being a stretch four,
3: Right. JJ, close your eyes, and, and you've never been told to close your eyes on your own podcast. <laughs> close your <laughs> eyes, and fresh out of Duke, JJ Reddick, a oh, team is saying you're wow. going to be the franchise guy walking into this league tomorrow. This next upcoming, you don't have to wait and play the rookie duty. If it, You're going to play 35 minutes, you're going to get 20 shots a game, shoot whatever shot you want. As a rookie, going forward, what does JJ Reddick do in this area?
0: I don't know that I'll ever be a franchise guy, but I do appreciate it. Oh, let's say they I do, do, do that. appreciate that. Yeah. I, look, I, 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 I believe like we're, we're all, we're all, we all have to adjust yeah. to our own era. You know, we have to, we have to figure out ways to succeed in our own era and, and Steph Dame, James, they made it okay to be a high volume three point shooter. Clay, Clay as well. Of course, Clay, I don't want to leave him out at all. Um, they made it okay. I didn't get that till year twelve, my first year in Philly. And so if I had had eleven years prior to that, oh my god! Come on, man! Come on! What you average. Oh, I but I would act and and with the pace. Come on, and I would 10. average. I would average over twenty. That's that. Yeah, I would average
3: over twenty. You say what? You average what? Over twenty, easy. I mean, I average eighteen with Philly. Like, I, yeah. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm gonna do your numbers for you. You're gonna take. You're gonna take. 12 to 13 threes a game, right? You're going to make, out of 12, you'll make five. Let's say you'll make five. Let's say 12 or 13, you'll make five of them. That's 15 points. You're going to get at least eight points on transition layups where you're just outrunning people getting four layups. We're at 23. We haven't even got the free throws, which are unbelievable free throws. Let's say you even get three a game. You're at 26 with just that formula. No mid-range, no nothing. You're at 26 points. Five threes. Four transition layups through free throws.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, by your math, yeah. Five and 12, analytics take that from data. Yeah, forty-one percent. That's my yeah. Okay, I I'll take that. I'll take. I'll take twenty-six again. No, I. I, I think. I. I think I was like five years too early. Five years too early because, like, I, I love Stan. Right. Stan didn't know. Stan didn't know how to use me in that offense. Like he didn't. Like I was. I was a stand. Literally a standstill guy. For most of my time in
3: Orlando, I like guard you in Orlando. I hated guarding you. Uh, <laughs> I love guarding Orlando. I'm like, oh, they're going to white. I'm gonna stand right over here. Yeah, it was
0: totally different. Totally different. Yeah.
2: Jamal, I wanted to ask. I want to ask about Malik Monk Um yeah. coming off the bench in the playoffs, doing what he's done. Obviously, in these first two games, is there was there something different for you? Obviously, you're lighting it up, sort of regardless. But is there was something different for you coming off the bench in a playoff game in terms of your sort of mental preparation
3: I, I really tricked myself that i was superman because you have to be so confident in the it's such a fine line social media you're looking at that oh you're terrible whenever you play bad right and you're great whenever you play good so i just i, I looked at it but i was more like fuck everything i'm superman walking i walked in with this heightened confidence and that's why you can Throw me as JJ talked about with JR. You could throw me a grenade at half court with the the end of it, a clock. I didn't care because I was like, you know what? I'm not playing for percentages, so that freed me. I'm like, I'm not playing for that. I'm playing to try to win this game. I I know they're gonna come at me on when I'm on defense, so I really have to be aggressive on offense to stay out there and try to help the team that way. So I was really, really aggressive, and I see he's playing with that same fearlessness right now. And and JJ knows this, and you know it too as well, T. It's funny, in the regular season, let's say you come out of game. You may be mad, not at the person that went in for you. They could have success, and you will be like, all right, cool, you know. But in the playoffs, he's playing well. Keep his ass out there. We don't care. We're trying to do whatever it takes to win. And right now, you can see his teammates doing that for him. Like, they're like, Monk, you got it going? Go. Keep going. Keep going. Maybe in the season, on game 65 in Utah, they may be like, man, he's shooting too much right now. They're like, no, go. And, and you can tell he's playing with that chip and that confidence.
0: Um. That's a series I want to discuss with you before we let you go. And I, I do want to get your thoughts on Draymond as well. I want to take this opportunity real quick because of some way, some, the way things sometimes get quoted out on social media. It appears that there are a group of people, uh, probably mostly Sacramento fans, that think that I was saying on first take this morning that the refs are favoring the Kings and that's why the Kings are winning. That's what I right. was, what I said was that the way, the way the series, both teams, the way the series has been officiated, that favors the Kings, not the refs favoring the King. No, the no, way right. when you can, when you can grab Steph off the ball, when you can grab Clay off the ball, when you can grab Draymond, like, of course you can point to plays where so and so didn't get called for a foul for the Warriors, or they called a bullshit. Th- that's that's every game. There's something like that. I'm talking about the way the game. They have let more go in this series. That hurts the Warriors. That's hurt. That hurts how the Warriors play basketball. That's not the reason. That's not the reason that Sacramento's up two zero. The reason Sacramento's up two zero is because they're a really fucking good basketball team, and De'Aaron Fox has been awesome in the clutch, just as he has been all season. That's the reason. It's. It, I'm not. It, whatever. I'm fascinated by this series. Game three obviously must win. Um, I still believe the Warriors have a chance to win this series if they can get game three. Um, give credit to the Kings. Do you think Draymond should have been suspended, though?
3: I think I think his reputation preceded him. And then I think, because every action is a reaction. There's no kick or stomp if the bonus doesn't grab ankle, right? And so for every action, there's a reaction, but also... The reputation, but maybe what happened afterwards, I believe, played just as big a part, especially with Commissioner Silver, right there, right. Like it's almost like, okay, I'm, um, I'm going, I'm mad, whatever, whatever. So be it. It is what it is. And I think that part, the reputation before what happened, and the and the what happened after, you know, the, there was a break. In the, the interaction with the crowd actions <laughs> this big part is the actual stuff okay so it's just stuff,
0: so, no, it's not so point of point of conversation for sure is is the uh interaction with the fans riling people up talking shit all that whatever um there are rules around when you you know this was happening i this was happening when they were reviewing so it wasn't like after he got ejected he left he talked to zach He bounced after he got ejected. Um, But when that happens, sometimes after an ejection, when you make stuff with the fans, like there's rules around leaving the court. That's always just a fine. You would never get suspended for that. Um, The fact that the, I I was a little surprised that no one tried to like, hey, Draymond, chill out, bro. You know, whether it was for the Warriors or whether it was a referee or so, I guess the referees were busy, but still that was kind of interesting to me. But I don't think he should have been suspended. I'll
3: stand by that. I I didn't think for just the action itself, no, I don't think that was suspension worthy, especially when it was a reaction, right? But I think they stood back because they know Draymond as well, right? And and being a genius in anything, you're a little out of touch with the world. So Draymond, they want him. I was We had a game a couple weeks back. I think it was against New Orleans. They were down almost 20. And he started getting to it with their players. And it it lit a a fire underneath the words. They came back and won that game. They don't win that game if he doesn't do that. So I think they know it's a fine line. And Draymond, man, you know how it is, Jay, in the playoffs. You put yourself in such I saw with you even in the mornings when you come in, you were so dialed in. I think Draymond is so locked in right now with this opportunity of being in the playoffs. He's in war mode. Right. He's not thinking. His instincts just took over in every and all assets. Bring on more. I'm I'm bringing on. Like he's in that mode right now. And they just backed up and, and you're right. That part right there. I was a little surprised, but I was like, okay, they know a little bit more about it than I do, especially in that setting.
2: Aren't aren't you guys also a little surprised, obviously, that this, this tips the scales for the series in such a significant way versus that this was a one-one series is probably a little bit different suspending him. I mean, this is a bad defensive team with Draymond playing. Without him, I mean, who knows what is how they're going to look uh, in game three. It just feels it feels like the league is – it feels – I mean, there's a lot of reporting that the Warriors are really upset about this, and you can understand why. It just feels like it tipped the scales a little bit in a way that is going to affect the outcome of the series in a way that you'd hope that a suspension wouldn't normally do.
3: And, Tommy, it could affect not only the the – the outcome of the series, it could affect the outcome of the future. Like, who knows what happens with Draymond from here or Clay resigning. signing Like, them losing in the first round, the Warriors, the Mighty Warriors, that can change how, you know, upper management, ownership, whatever, views how this team has looked the next two, three years. So, it can have a, 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 a boatload of ramifications if it doesn't work out in their favor and they end up losing. Because, like we said, 2-1, being down 2-1 is a completely different beast from being down 3-0.
0: Joe Dumars was asked about that and he said, you know, unfortunate for essentially unfortunate for the warriors, but we have to look at the specific actions of this game and what the suspension or the, what the punishment be for this specific action, regardless of where the series is at. And look, I think it's unfortunate for the warriors. I have been so entertained by both of these games. I think game three still is going to be awesome. Very curious to see how Steve Kerr plays Uh, our buddy, Nate Jones, Jamal is also a a friend of Nate's Uh, he pointed something out and I thought it was great that um, the Warriors, unlike nearly every good team in the NBA now, I think you could probably put Cleveland in this same, same regard. They play two non-shooters and that's very difficult. And you get away with it because Looney's so good at what he does. Draymond is so good at what he does. And then you have the two best shooters of all time. So you can get away with it at times. I think in some ways, and Jamal, if I'm wrong here, please, please point it out. In some ways, the margin has shrunk for the Warriors because the rest of the league has prioritized shooting so much that now almost every team plays four, sometimes five shooters like the Celtics will do sometimes when Robert Williams is on the bench. But every team pretty much plays four shooters at least on the floor at a time. And so that margin that you get from Clay and Steph's volume, that has dissipated a little bit. And the league has sort of caught up to the Warriors. So when you talk about long-term, if they do lose this series, you probably look at some – I'm not saying they get rid of Looney. I'm not saying they get rid of Draymond. I'm saying they figure out a way to get a front-court player – They can stretch the floor.
3: Yeah, I think you're spot on in every aspect. I I think before they were so far ahead of the curve because they were shooting the volume of threes. You had the two best shooters ever. And you have, you know, you had non-shooters in the past with Iguodala and Sean Livingston. They kind of operated in the mid-range and in. But their smarts, along with that, offset, you know, some of the, the shooting deficiencies and their versatility. And like you said, the rest of the league wasn't there yet. Now the rest of the league has said, oh, Warriors, that's what you're doing? Oh, we're going to take – still a page out of your book, but we're younger. We're adding even more shooting. Oh, and by the way, we're going to play four shooters. We're going to take and raise you one. We're going to play four shooters with one non-shooter. And so that's where – we're not saying their run is over, but yeah, that's where the, the, the field has gotten closer to what they're doing.
0: And it's not just I – mean, I'm doing this. I know the Warriors and the Celtics shot the two most threes this year. I have no idea. Going back to 2015 when this run started, what the numbers are and what the differences are between, let's say, the Warriors and the tenth most, the, the team with the tenth most attempts. My point is, the more shooting you add, the more it opens everything up, right? There's a, there's a compounding effect to more shooting. So it's not just about that. It's about, oh, I've got a guy who can attack the basket. Let's add shooting around him so he can get to the hoop. I got a guy who can draw fouls when he's in one on one coverage let's have more shooting so he can draw more fat. Like there's, that's the point of shooting is space. And the warriors created space by having the two best shooters ever. They've got one of the smartest players ever in Draymond green, manipulating defenses, figuring out how to play out of those post splits. And so other teams said, okay, we need more shooting. And the days of shit, man, with the Clippers, like Blake was in Blake, wasn't a three. He was a mid range shooter. He was a mid range shooter. And so, now you have to, have to, to beat the Warriors, to beat any team, you have to have shooting. To be a, an elite team, you have to have
3: shooting. Period. And then you look at a, a team like the Kings, right? They're rare to me because for as young as they are, they play the right way. Like they, the ball hops, they're moving the ball around, and then you have a clutch guy in De'Aaron Fox, but then, and Sabonis is, you know, playing his butt off, but then you also have something small but something big. You have Mike Brown, right, who was with the Warriors. So he's giving insights to them. No, no, send him that way. I know this about, him. or attack him like this. Those little things, when you have that, and you have that infrastructure, you can be good now. You can be good for a long time. But you can also start to, like, slay the dragon, so to speak. Oh, the dragon's not as big as I, I thought. His teeth were sharper than that. Oh, okay, so it gives you that kind of confidence going into it, especially when you have that insight from a coach like.
0: And I think that's been a, a real underrated part, and something I'm glad you mentioned. Mike Brown, who will win coach of the year, already won the National uh, Association of Basketball Coaches, coach of the, uh, coach of the year. He, um, he has something that you and I don't have and Tommy doesn't have and no one on TV has. He has intel from being in years and years of coaches meetings with Steve Kerr and that staff. He knows everything there is to know about every guy on that Warriors roster and to some degree i think this is pr- probably part of the game plan with draymond is just like hey dude like he's important to the team let's bait it a little bit let's bait it let's try to get an incident right and huh. yeah so anyways jamal i know you got we know we gotta let you run because you've uh got your dentist appointment so i really appreciate it um by
3: the way i listened to the whole one with you and dane it was unbelievable that got me through it i was listening
0: to. all right man you're the best If you like The Old Man of the Three, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
4: Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm-hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era?
5: <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I in, would,
4: in the plumber 27
5: days? 27-year-old Shay would give Bob Cousy the <laughs> business. He's not guarding me.
4: Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion.
5: And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back we have a new podcast from wondering it's called six trophies and it's the best
4: each week shay and i are combing through all of the nba storylines finding the best most interesting most compelling ones and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities
5: Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short term decision with no regard for future consequence.
4: Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand.
5: Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh,
4: the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Six Trophies ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.